Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dallas Comedy Club podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Alou, and I am sitting down with a very funny, very talented human, Mr. Charlie Redding. Welcome, Charlie. Hi, everybody. Uh, Charlie, thank you so much for being here today. Happy to be here. Uh, It is a fun fact, folks. It is Charlie's birthday today. Not the day that this episode will come out, but on the day we're recording, it is his birthday. So happy birthday, sir. Thank you. I did it on purpose. Yeah, I knew it. I figured. Uh, Charlie is an instructor here at Dallas Comedy Club. He's also a performer uh, on Jerry, as well as the showrunner and performer on our Friday night short form show, which... Right now does not have a name, but I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, there will be a name for the show. Uh, he also coaches several of our uh, club teams uh, that you all see on Wednesday evenings. Overall, Charlie is just kind of, he's a man who wears a lot of hats here at the club. And so we're, I'm very excited to be sitting down with you and, and chatting today. I want to know just right off the get-go, what is, what is the, why did you get into comedy? You know, what was the sort of catalyst of of wanting to make this your life. Yeah, I um, I guess there's a, a bunch of steps in that. I'm told that when I was a baby, uh, I loved Eddie Murphy, and he wouldn't even have to tell jokes, he would just talk, and I yeah. would like giggle and stuff. Um, growing up being like non, uh, uh, not traditionally attractive <laughs> and, and, and round, um, humor uh, was a great way, I think, to, to get people communicating. Uh, which uh, I think is important. So I, I leaned on that. And uh, at some point I, f- I got kind of good at it. So I was kind of known for being like a funny kid throughout high school. And the thing that pushed me towards pursuing comedy as a vocation was my senior year of high school. I failed out of uh, calculus, which I was going to be doing. Like I was, I was I was set. You were gonna be a, gonna like be a, a math nerd. I was gonna be a math major. Yeah. Whoa. I, I was one hundred percent. I was set on that. And then I got into calculus, and I failed out within like two or three weeks. And they're like, "We we gotta put you somewhere else because you're not doing well." It was because I had a bad. I had a really bad foundation in trigonometry. That's a whole other animal. Uh, but my high school theater. Well, she's actually the English teacher and the theater director. Mm-hmm. She made a, a very kind of um, uh, passing comment about me maybe being the kind of person who could pursue uh, performance mm-hmm. as a vocation. And I was like, that's enough for me. Like, Hell let's go yeah. do it. And so I, I kind of, I made a, I made a, a, a sharp about face and I became a theater person and that got me into performing. What got me into improv specifically, there were three things. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, uh, the UCB TV show was on a uh, comedy central and I saw a sketch I, you know, I would stay up late with my TV on because I was supposed to be in bed. And I saw this sketch where someone, I think it was like Matt Walsh or somebody was like, it was revealed that someone had orgasmed mm. into an ice tray. Okay. And then one of the kids, as a joke, put the ice cube in his mom's vagina. <laughs> and he found out that, like, it made the other person his like the kids that are, it was it was kind of kind of complicated but i remember being really messed up by that yeah. like i was like i don't understand what just happened like i'm i was I'm really young for this. i'm too young for this i don't know i'm uncomfortable yeah. yeah so and and that and we do come back to that um in college i saw nku's improv troupe loved it and joined uh the following fall so it would have been the fall of 2005 and then when I moved to New York, I was just walking, this in uh, 2009, I was just walking around the city and I found myself in front of the UCB theater, just randomly. Mm-hmm. And those things together, I, I just kind of felt like a push towards improv. And um, 
Yeah, which uh, which UCB theater was it the one in Chelsea, the one yeah. at Christie's? Yep, yeah. yep, that's the one. And the the so I moved to New York, and the next day I got there on a Saturday, and uh, the next day I stood in line for three hours to see Ascat. Yeah, of course. And I still remember that first show. Um, it was the first time I ever saw Peter uh, Gross perform, who I just think is one of the funniest people in the world. Chris Gethard was there, T- uh, Tammy Sager, Shannon O'Neill. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Falcon was the monologist. He talked about working on Lord of the Rings. Yeah, great lineup. Yeah, it was, and it, it changed my life. And that was when I, like, I knew that whatever I was doing, whether I was doing theater or film or real estate or whatever, I had to be doing improv. Yeah. I love hearing that because it's, um, you know, again, I think a lot of people look at improv stand-up sketch uh, as this sort of like, well, you have to you have to be an actor to do it. And it, sure, it might help. I think for some, it, it actually is a detriment to their performance yeah, as I an improviser. completely agree. Um, so I love just hearing that you were like, no matter what you were doing, real estate, you know, being in TV or film, um, you know, improv needed to be a part of that journey. It, mm-hmm. And it's because it's fucking magic what happens on stage. It yeah. really is. Do you have, I, I mean, I guess this kind of links back to it, but... I was going to ask you, you have like a very early comedic memory, but it, I mean, the, the coming in the ice tray kind of sounds like that yeah. memory. <laughs> there, there, I mean, that, that's the most like, and I playfully say scarring. Mm-hmm. I actually ran into Matt Walsh, you know, many years later in a coffee shop and I told him how, like how much that affected me. And he thought it was hilarious, uh, which I'm happy that it was, it yeah. was funny. I didn't want to be like, your sketch sucked. No, I was like, the sketch was super funny and I was too young to understand it and it messed me up forever. And now I'm at your theater. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I between um, I guess between that and I watched a lot of In Living Color, mm-hmm. uh, which I w- I wouldn't know until many many years later how important that experience was for me. Yeah, because I as, as a kid, kind of being I- ignorant to the world, I never clocked that that was a show that was predominantly uh, people of color, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Like yeah. I and I would get in trouble by like quoting the show. Yeah. Um. And, and I didn't know what was wrong with it. I didn't. I didn't know like the things I was saying, and I wasn't saying anything like that had anything to do with race. Right, Just right. like, you know, the, the what was it? Men, men on film, where they would do like three steps up in a Z formation, like all that, <laughs> yeah. and or, or homie don't play that. Yeah. And and I would get in trouble um for that kind of stuff, and I had no idea why. You know, years later, when finally the veil is lifted, and I I realized there are two Americas. Oh yeah. I'm like, man, in living color was really a testament to. To 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 that to to that second America yeah. being able to create that, and uh, yeah, I, I never realized how important that was when I was watching it. But now looking back on it, yeah, like, huge uh, impact. Yeah, I, I try to I try to work a lot of social justice like into just what I do as a person. Absolutely, you gotta, and you gotta fight for it. Yeah. So you're from Kentucky originally. Yeah. You lived in New York. I know you lived in LA as well because we know each other from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, you're brand new to Dallas. I want to know sort of what the experience has been like as one of the few people here in Dallas who has a similar experience where you've been to these other major cities and performed and taught improv. Yeah. And what the is there a massive difference between New York, L.A., Kentucky, Dallas, Chicago, the way that players play? Or do you find that there really is a commonality across state line? Yeah, I think there are. I think there is. Uh, I, I mean, I think there is a big difference. Right. There's a, there is on a very, very fundamental level. It's like, it's like when you say two people look alike. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> sure. Like they both, they, they both probably are human shaped, have eyes and ears and a nose and a mm-hmm. mouth. But beyond that, maybe not. I, I think improv is, is similar where there are some, there are some fundamental things, you know, our, a, a scene, whether it's good or it's bad, is typically going to 
it's going to look like some people on stage talking to each other. Yeah. And and I think I think that similarity is pretty pretty universal. But when it comes to the specific brands of each community, I, I think that that's a thing. I think that that's real. There was I've, I've never seen any improv in Boston, but when I lived in L.A., there were people who had come from that metro, and they and other people who had seen shows in Boston at like I guess Improv Asylum, mm -hmm. which yeah. great. If never seen a show there, but from what I understand, great theater. Hey, Asylum, uh, they moved into the Gristiti space. Oh, um, for real? Yeah. So uh, in New York, UCB uh, had their sort of their flagship theater in New York was under a grocery store called Gristiti's in it Chelsea. It was amazing. A great location right off the subway. Um, and then they dumbly moved to this enormous like Broadway style theater on like 12th Avenue on 42nd and 12th. So you're like walking so far just to get to this fucking theater. Anyway, Asylum, which started in Boston, they just opened up a theater in, in New York maybe the year before oh. the pandemic hit. And they took over that space. And let me tell you, man, it's bizarre being in there because they barely changed anything. Oh, wow. And so it feels like you're still at UCB, but it's Asylum. I, I'm sure they probably could attract a crowd that way too. Yeah. And I think it's really smart. But talking about the Boston improv scene, you know, I never saw a show there, but I heard great things about the theater. Yeah. And the one thing that everyone would say was they that was a community that sort of uh, that enjoyed that leaned into like bluer humor. Mm -hmm. I I have no issue with this. A lot of people give notes on blue humor. I think if your whole show is that, then maybe we have a problem. But it's it's a valid type of humor. We should sure. be playing into it. Uh, so without ever having gone there, having seen a show, that was something that I would hear a lot. When you look at the different metropolitan areas, New York, L.A., Chicago, um, Cincinnati, you know, I mean, I'm from, I'm from Kentucky, northern Kentucky's greater Cincinnati. Right. Uh, I, I definitely can see common things in those places. I, I think like Chicago, to me, the shows that I've seen there, the time I spent there, that was a city that really enjoyed its improv scene, of course, has changed in the last couple of years. But I think that was a city that really enjoyed and continues to enjoy the art of improv, the artistry. Mm -hmm. There was a lot more of a, I think, a collaborative kind of, you know, I, I, I use the word crunchy a lot, and I don't, <laughs> I don't, and if anyone doesn't know what I mean, it's like the granola stuff, like the, the really, the really like kind of artsy fartsy, and I love that. Like I consider myself pretty crunchy. I think Chicago really, really leaned into that just, just by virtue of the annoyance being there, yeah, which is incredibly to many people is subversive. Oh yeah. When it comes to a lot of people's mainstream perception of improv. Mm -hmm. That's a city that wants to see something interesting every bit as much as they want to see something funny. Yeah. Whereas I think in LA, the theater it be, because because LA is just Hollywood, if you're not getting your, you know, 13 laughs a minute or whatever, yeah. then is your show a success? Uh, and by LA definition, it's not right. unless you're hitting it. Yeah. yeah, you can do a textbook perfect show, but if you didn't get a ton of laughs, you know, if people were silent because they were interested, it's still a bad show. Yeah, New York, I think, it matches that same mentality of New York in the same way LA matches that of LA. New York is a working person city, mm -hmm. and I think the improv is a testament to that. You know, when I was there in 2009 and 2010, the only indie theater was under St. Mark's. Yeah. Oh, and under St. Mark's is still kicking. Yeah. Yeah. So when you you have a, a a an improv community, you know, you've got the you've got UCB, you've got the pit, you've got the magnet, and then you've got some of the the short form theaters. Right. Like what was that? Do you remember the name of the one Kevin Labson was a part of? Was uh, it like the 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 National 
or the Atlantic or, or? Uh, the the Atlantic does sound familiar. I know that they were performing at BCC Brooklyn Comedy Collective for yeah. a while. I don't remember. I don't remember yeah. his team. I just know in recent years he was doing a lot of his show Side Coach. And yeah. I think he just opened a theater in Brooklyn. What a beautiful man. I, I love that man. Here's to you, Kevin Lapson. Yeah. Th- <laughs> Kevin, if you're hearing this, we love you, baby. We love you so much, honey. Um, I think L.A., I felt like the community was pretty ironclad. Yeah. It, it was kind of hard to get in. Yeah. Once you were in, you were in, but it was hard doing it. I think it for me in New York, everybody's arms were wide open. Yeah, there's a much like more open community, and I think it's because, like as you said, it's a working city. Everyone is working their ass off to yeah. survive. So when you choose to do something like improv, it it's for so many people. It's not about trying to be famous as an improviser. Right. It's just like I need this to get through my fucking week. Yeah, and so it's so much more of like, a, yeah, come on in, come on in. We're just gonna get weird on stage. Let's go play. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I out of every place I've done improv, uh, New York consistently, I can't tell you how many shows I did where it was just us and the other team there. And they still let us do the show. In L.A., they would just pull it. Yeah. You wouldn't do your show. I, I guess if I could sum them up in like a, a phrase, I think in Chicago, the improv has to be interesting. Mm-hmm. In L.A., the improv has to be funny. And in New York, the improv has to be done. Yeah, that's great. That's a great way of putting it. Then what have- about Dallas? Uh, from what I'm seeing so far, so yeah, we can talk about Dallas and we can talk about Cincinnati. Um, the improv I'm seeing in Dallas is, uh, man, it's it's cool. Like <laughs> the amount of talent here. There's one thing that I am seeing that I've never seen anywhere else, and that is, uh, well, not that I've never seen anywhere else, but that I see as often here on the stage as I do, and I think it's really cool. And that is how the teams and the players, I think, have given themselves permission to full on like change a scene as it's happening. Now, of course, this is gonna happen in any mono scene that we see. Sure. But here in in a three to five minute scene, it will start as one type of scene and it will full on change into something else. It will begin as a, like a, a voice of reason, you know, unusual character scene and it will turn into a group scene. Yeah. And it isn't, and it isn't about that initial relationship any longer. It's, 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 a, it's either about the relationship of the people who are in that group or it's about their relationship with one of those characters. And, and I think that's really, really interesting. I'm not mm. used to seeing, I'm used to saying a scene is, is one type of scene or the scene maybe needs some coaching. Right. Whereas here it's like, oh no, it can start as this, become this and become something else. There are a lot of very supportive players in Dallas. It's so, there is such a, a like when you talk about community, arms wide open, uh, th- it's that feeling on these stages where it's like, I, I have never seen so many teams so actively listening on the sidelines. And I feel like I can see all of their brains going, how can I support this? How can I heighten this? How can I get in there and, and turn it into something else? And a lot of the times, you know, if you have just one or two players who are like that, it turns into some steamrollers on right. the team. Sure. But when you have a full team of people just like, how can I make this better? My God, it's so fun to watch. As you said, these scenes start one way and sort of morph as they continue. Because the team just wants to get out and play with each other. I feel the same way. The The community here, I feel like, is actively working to support and like help one another. Yeah. I I can't say that I felt that everywhere. A- at all, in fact. I, I've, I've played in some, I've jammed at some places where you like you had a target on your back <laughs> Every, pe- people were trying I, I i i don't know i'm if i had to hypothesize it's like if if i can make that person look bad there's i'll look better yeah 
And I don't see that here. People, I don't see people on stage talking trash to one another. Mm-hmm. I don't see people like full on abandoning each other. It's it's like it's super supportive, super collaborative. People want to take care of each other. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, it it really does feel like um, it feel it feel it feels like a community. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like a bunch of people with uh, a few um, a few like leaders of the community who are dictating what's happening yeah there's a much more of an uh we're all equals here feeling um and yeah i mean even even at the pit like there was very clear tiers of performers where it was like you had especially because sure. you know people's improv theaters was has been around now for i think close to 10 years um and they when you've got certain house teams that are going into their eighth year as a house team, never broken up, no new members, just like have been a team. And listen, they're amazing. But like when you have that sort of structure for so long, you end up with this weird hierarchy dy- dynamic where sure. even within the house teams, it was like, well, those are the those are the good house teams because they've never been touched and they just like keep going year after year after year. And like we're the brand new house team, so we have to like really prove yeah, ourselves. You, yeah, you've got a chip on your shoulder. Um, and maybe because you know it's brand new theater and we're starting from scratch, basically after not after the pandemic, but like during this pandemic. Sure. Um, hopefully the tail end. Hopefully the tail end of it. You know, every single team on that stage was brand new, so it didn't ever feel like, well, this is clearly the good team. Team, and this is clearly the team that needs work. Everyone just has a very equal standing with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really fun to watch. I'm curious how that dynamic will shift and change as the years progress. I'm, I don't, I'm hoping we can maintain everybody who's on these stages are great and equal, and no one is competing with one another. Right. But I don't know if that's just sort of inevitable as time goes on. Yeah, it's one of those things I wonder about. Is it just by virtue of being, you know, human beings? Yeah. Is that something that we're going to create because we need it? Yeah. We 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 need this sense of um, competition. You know, there there needs to be a leader, and I don't I don't think there does. But the the opinion of of one person is not the same as the opinion of the group. Right. And and that's where things become very very difficult. I think. Yeah, Chris and I, uh, Chris Hansen and yeah. I spoke about... That's a funny man. I love him so much. Um, but we spoke a lot about sort of house teams, club teams, and, and the dynamic of, you know, sharing that hour slot. And he, he talked about how when it, this place used to be DCH and everyone was doing the Ewing, that he found himself, whether he went first or second, comparing and... If, if his team had gone first and he'd come out and watch the other team perform, he'd spend their entire set getting that, like, hot feeling of, like, I can't believe I just went up and did the garbage I did because look how much better this team is. Yeah, you make yourself sick that way. And I hated hearing that. I'm like, I don't want to – that's not what it should feel like. It should never feel like it's my team versus your team in this slot. It should feel like, all right, we're going to go up there and do a show, and you're going to go up there and do a show, and there's going to be funny moments in both. There's going to be not so funny moments in both, I'm sure, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. That is, um, that's such a hard. It's it's easy to say, you know, but the I think the world has taught us to compare ourselves. Yeah. You know, the Western, the, this Western mentality of you're either you're either better or you're worse, and there is for for me, I don't I don't I don't care about any of that. Yeah. It's what it's what helped me get through a life as a as a person and, you know, as an actor was if I'm not getting cast to me, it's not because someone was better than me or or someone was worse than me. It's because things are different. Yeah. And I can see over the course of an evening, 
Uh, hell, I've done it here. You know, I've seen five shows in a night, all yeah. club teams, and then jammed with them. And I've had a good time at every show. Yeah. And I could walk away saying stuff about every one of them. You know, I'm having a memory about each about each team, if not several. Yeah. And I, I almost think I would hate it if every team was just like, if I walked away saying, yeah, good show. Yeah, good show. Yeah, good show. Like, I think that would be really boring. I want to be able to say, this was a really good show. It, they, were, they were patient and they let themselves get dramatic. And I could say, oh, you know, that was a really good show because, man, their character work is just through the roof and the commitment that they play with. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it, there's so much more to it than, like, better or worse. Yeah. That, that's, that, that is too simple of a rubric for anyone to subject themselves or others to. And, you know, it's natural, as you said, right? Like, it's the world has taught us to kind of sure. have that mentality. You know, I'm curious, you, you teach improv. What is sort of like a piece of advice you would give a new improv student, someone who is just starting out, you know, besides the listen to your scene partner, make them look good, all those classic mm -hmm. uh, piece mm -hmm. of advice. But, um, yeah, what, what, what piece of advice would you give to someone who's looking to pursue comedy in some way? So... Since so the last couple of years have the last I, th I think three years have really changed the way that I just operate as a person and this does lead into the answer to your question yeah so, yes, yes, yes. Um, I've I've been I've been doing a lot of research uh, you know I, I I was a lecturer for eight and a half years I worked with young people a lot and and post traditional students not all young people yeah um, and between the research that I did with like radical candor and emotional intelligence. And working with young people, especially in the arts, the, the thing that I think has helped me the most in communicating with them, uh, young people who maybe are just starting out doing this thing, I've said it to some people here at the theater already, and, if, and for, those that, uh, for those that I have, you're, well, you're going to hear it again. <laughs> and for those that haven't, I, I do believe this. There's not much I say that I don't believe. Everyone, no matter what you are doing, and here it's improv, you know, it's Zen and the art of archery is really about anything, yeah. but we say it's, the book is written about archery. So in the same way, we are all, every one of us, we are all masters of improv at different points in the life of the master. Mm -hmm. If you have just gone in and, and had your first free workshop and you think that was kind of interesting, maybe I want to do it again, awesome, then you are you have just taken your first step you've been a little baby improv master mm -hmm. just like probably actually most people are improvising without knowing it when the, anytime you riff with your friends oh yeah and then when you decide you're like i'm going to actually pursue this pedigree i'm actually going to go take a class cool you've just taken your first step and you're a baby master and you're on your way from there and there there are people who are old sagely masters <laughs> and there are people who are like Midlife, uh, like very virile masters. Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, my, I think my favorite to watch are probably the uh, the angsty, like late teen masters who are like who are who are who are you know really subversive mm -hmm. and 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 edgy, edgy. Yeah, yeah. I think real edgy. edgy. Like, I, I, it's great because you get to laugh at it twice. Yeah. Once because it's funny, and second because it's fucking ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And that's and that's amazing. E everyone. Being, being in education, you know, there, there was a lot of discussion over the growth-based model and the proficiency-based model. Mm. Growth being every individual should have the opportunity to learn, and proficiency is the bell curve. You ignore the people at the bottom, you ignore the people at the top, because no matter what you do, they're not going to improve. Mm. People at the bottom are never going to learn, and the people at the top already know it. Mm. So don't work with them. You work with the people in the middle. To me, it is, uh, it is academically and artistically bankrupt to follow a proficiency-based 
learning model mm -hmm. because everyone to me should have the opportunity to grow. Yep. So when you're an educator or a director or a coach it, or a teammate, you are all part of that same life cycle. Ostensibly, the person in charge is the most mature or the oldest. Right. Our, many of our life experiences <laughs> prove that that is not true. <laughs> but we all still have the opportunity to grow and learn. Even if you have been doing improv for 40 years and you're being coached by someone who's been doing it for five, you can still learn from that person. And the person doing the, doing the teaching, the one who's responsible for the learning can still learn. We all have oh, that opportunity. Yeah. I, I say this all the time, like do not take a class with a teacher who's not actively taking a class themselves. Yes. Uh, oh my God. Um, right? So like you have, it's, you're never done. You're never the, done. The importance of wanting to learn. So many people become teachers because they like learning. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of counterintuitive. If you like learning, doesn't that remove you from the equation? You're not learning anymore. Now you're teaching. You're teaching others to learn. And I think if, if, if that's what we resign ourselves to, mm -hmm. then we have already begun, we've already lost. Yeah. If you want to learn, you must always want to learn. You can't say I'm done. You yeah. can't say I've stopped. You always must be learning. Absolutely. It's so important because it, it, it's when you start to, I think when you stop taking class, especially with improv, all those bad habits that you spent years, mm -hmm. months, years, whatever it is, getting out of your body and out of your brain slowly start to creep back in. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I went most of the pandemic without taking a class and only teaching because it was all Zoom. I was running a, the social, uh, socially distant improv, which was like an online uh, theater, essentially. Um, and so that whole year I was not in class. The first fucking show I did getting back up on stage, I was like, why am I doing a talking head scene? Mm -hmm. Where's my object work? All sure. these like little weird habits suddenly just like creep back in, um, leaning too heavily on just like loud Jersey accent <laughs> to be funny. You know, it's like those things where it's like, okay, that's a novelty. It works in the moment, but I know it's a crutch. Sure. And this is something I spent years trying to get out from under me. And now it's back because I wasn't in a class. Sure. And I started taking a class again uh, right here at DCC. I'm taking our level two class and it's been amazing. I'm like, yes, I need someone to just tell me to stop doing the bit. Yeah. Because it's not about the fucking bit. It's never about the bit, I don't think. Uh, well, I mean, maybe like one time out of a hundred. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's, it's never about anything. It's always about the two living, breathing human beings that I can see. Yeah. It's never about the grandmother or the lamp that I can't. Exactly. And those bad habits, uh, a lot of the time we do fall into those as a crutch because we'll come out and we'll say something like, you know, oh, if you're the darling, you know, of a theater community, mm -hmm. all you've got to do is walk on stage and people laugh. Oh, my God. And I honestly, I see it at some of the shows here. Sure. And I find it hilarious because I'm like, again, we're such the outsiders in this community. Mm -hmm. So much of the DCC community is a carryover from DCH. We're very lucky right now that we're getting some brand new students through classes. So we're getting like our own little new community going sure. here. Um, but yeah, just uh, I'll be on the sidelines and I watch someone step out on stage and I, the, immediately the, the audience is losing their mind. And I'm like, they haven't done anything yet. Right. There's a lot of those moments that I think 
I love the audience. Yeah. Like, I, I think the audience is the third member of the scene. Oh, every time. With live theater, the audience is always another character that just doesn't speak. Yes. And and we have to be very, uh, very cautious because the audience can lovingly... Again, I love the audience. I'm not putting this on an, any audience member, any group of audience members. But if I if I walk on stage, and the audience is like, "Oh yeah, it's this person," and they laugh, then I, that that's that's not part of the scene. They're they're yeah. laughing because it's me. In the same way that if I come out and I give someone a funny name, mm-hmm. you know, if I if I call someone, uh, I'm just going to use one of the ones that I hate. <laughs> if if I call someone Billiam, Billiam, I hate I hate that. Um, I, now. It, it's also ironic for me to say because I love giving people weird names. Mm-hmm. I do that so I can remember them. Yeah, of course. If I call someone Stetch or Moondoggy or something. Yeah, you're going to remember Moondoggy. Exactly. You're not going to remember Stephanie. You're going right. to remember Moondoggy yeah. for sure. Um, so I can give someone a weird name. I can get a laugh just by virtue of entering. Sometimes people will start doing space work. And there will be people in the audience who are like, oh, my gosh. Like, I can see the bi- I can see the dollar bill that he's smoothing against the, uh, the vending machine. Right. And that will be really interesting. And they'll laugh because of that. I love it when the audience laughs. We love that. Yeah. But those... Those are these little one-off laughs that are just based off of audience recognition of, of, of something that's outside the scene. Yeah. We love them. We should encourage them. Your scene's not about that. Your scene is not about that person who just entered. Nope. It, it might be about the relationship with them, but the scene cannot be them just entering and leaving a whole bunch of times. Exactly. And we see it so often at jams. Sure. So often at jams. Even like level one students, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, a crutch of the familiar. Sure. And it's so important to start there when you're learning, but it, it is, it's one of those habits that like, as you continue, you have to sort of devoid yourself from this feeling of, well, it's familiar. Yes. I think, I think there is, I agree with that completely. There is, if you find a good habit that you can sort of create a surrogate crutch out of. Mm. So something that I would tell a lot of my students back in, in uh, Northern Kentucky, back in the Cincinnati area, if they were brand new to improv, I, I, I wasn't. I never wanted them to be able to do a scene and then start doing good scenes. I wanted us to start from a place of let's just do good scenes. Yeah. Uh, they can be bad, but it's going to be a good scene. Mm-hmm. You know, don't put the expectation on yourself that it's got to be the best scene that's ever done. Right. So I would often say if you have to spend a year doing the I love you scene, you know, I, I, I've never told you this before. But I love you. But yeah. I have to tell you that I love you. Great, let's spend a year doing that because that's an emotionally connected scene. Yes, and it makes it about the two of you. And if we spend a year doing that scene and then someone walks out and says, I don't know, uh, thanks, um, thanks, for, thanks for coming. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't been coping well since we lost dad. Like, okay, great. This is not an I love you scene. Mm-mm. This is an I need you scene. Yeah. And, and that's okay. If it took us a year to get there, we still got there. Yeah. I would still, I would so much rather spend a year watching I Love You scenes than a year watching. I've got a banana I, phone today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, don't get me wrong. Every once in a while, a nice banana phone scene to clear the palate. But, but especially, I can't, especially when I can't. a teammate jumps up and they're the whole banana phone. That's oh my it. God. That's it. Now, you see that. Now that's, that's really the key to improv right there. Yeah. Is is some is summoning the banana phone? So just summon the banana phone. Level ones, uh, great, uh, Charlie. I we're gonna because I can't believe how fast this time is going by. We're gonna switch over to some more fun, goofy goof questions. Now. Yeah, let's do it. So, um, if you could insert yourself into any television show or movie in history, which would you choose? And this is not like 
you're going to take over as Heath Ledger as the Joker in Dark Knight. It's just now you are a new character in Dark Knight. Mm. Okay. Uh, the the movie would be Yellowbeard. What movie is this? Okay, get ready. Okay. So <laughs> Yellowbeard is not a great movie, but it's a very good movie. Uh, Yellowbeard is 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 this amalgamation of members of like the Mel Brooks crew, uh, the uh, the Monty Python crew, Cheech and Chong. Mm-hmm. So you've got John Cleese, Eric Idle, Graham Chapman is Yellowbeard. Okay. Uh, David Bowie makes a cameo in it. Um, is it? I, I think it's is it Madeline Kahn? I'm sold right it, now with so this cast. It's basically just the the premise is that uh, Graham Chapman plays this pirate named Yellowbeard who is known by having this huge like mane of yellow hair. Great. And uh, in it, he he buries his treasure and he tattoos the map onto the head of his infant son. Oh and, my god! And when he gets out of prison, he wants to go find his treasure, but there are other people who are after it as well. And this is, it is not a great movie. It's a very good movie. Okay. And if only because I would have the opportunity to be in a film that featured these other actors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think are Peter Boyle and Marty Feldman, I think, are in it. Wow. It, like, the, the cast is, is absolutely stellar. Like, it's, it's astronomical. I would want to be in that movie if only to be, like, I, I become a power player in Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon at that yeah, point. Yeah, oh yeah. So that is the movie that I would want to Great choice, in. great choice. And with your current look right now, I feel like you would fit in with that cast very well. Free to stream on YouTube. Oh, great. It's free on YouTube if great you want to watch tip. it. Great tip. I'm definitely yeah. going to watch it. And thank you for commenting on my mane of hair. Yeah, Charlie looks like a wild pirate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, every every man I know got, has this look because of COVID. Rob, yeah. uh, my my partner, also huge long hair. He had the huge beard. He just shaved it off recently. Ian, one of the owners here, had the huge beard, but uh, not as long hair. I just like every guy I knew grew this out. It's really funny that for a year, I think we all like stayed inside, looking at ourselves in mirrors and being like. God, you look different. Yeah. <laughs> and then you walk out into the world and you're like, I look the same. I look the same. We all, we're all the same person. We all look the same. <laughs> um, if you uh, had to choose a song that would play every time you walked into a room as basically like your intro song, which would it be and why? This is another weird one. So it would be uh, Man vs. Ape by uh, Idea and Abilities. This is off the ENA album. So Idea, you know, he died a few years ago. Uh, rest in peace, Mikey. But uh, it, it is not a fun song, but it's cool. And the opening is this like, jung, 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 jung. Cool. And then it right. goes into the swell, and then you idea comes in with this like, move. Ain't no telling what I'm gonna do. Uh, you know, it's it, it's 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 like it's a super heavy. Like if I. If I ever do competitive improv like that, I want that song played. That's so gonna be your ent- entrance. If I could hear that the beginning of that, that like, wub, 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 I'm like, I'm about to make my entrance, yeah. and then that, <clears throat> you're in the door. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, every, and red lights yeah. and just yeah, right. they would be that. One. All right, we can make that happen here. We could do that here. We got red lights in the main stage. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to choose today, mm-hmm. what would the title of your autobiography or your Netflix special be? The autobiography would be A Life in Art. That's nice. Uh, the autobiography of Charlie Retting. Um, though I actually might change that part. Not a lot of people know this. I don't know if you know this about me. So Retting's not my birth name. 
I did not know this. Yeah, I was born, I don't usually share my middle name, but I'll tell it to everyone listening here. Okay. I was born Charles Earl Wilson III. I knew Earl. I yeah. remembered Earl. Hey, I don't for, like, I, I just remember roasting you in LA about your middle name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's what, you're probably the reason I don't tell people yeah. it. Um, but yeah, my name was changed uh, when my mom remarried and I got like half adopted. Yeah. And I really hate that name. Uh, it doesn't. Retting or Earl <sighs> or Wilson, which one? Retting. Retting. Yeah. I hate that name. I mean, I, I it's, it's easily mispronounced um, and the, the, the person who my got it from is not a very good person. Yeah, garbage human. He is, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, uh, so so that that part might change, but otherwise, a life in art. Would you cha- would you change your last name to a, like a brand new like invent a last name? That's a, I, I like that idea. I've actually. heard of a lot of cu- like modern new agey couples are like instead of taking like a portmanteau they like combine the two last names to a brand new thing Um, or they invent a a new last name i'm like i'm into it names are insane so yeah i I love that it kind of it betrays convention yeah you know we've we've spent hundreds of years saying it's done this way so let's create a new way to do it yeah um and as for the netflix special no idea it would be called no idea actually yeah Yeah, actually yeah that's that's the one no idea yeah i love that I mean, that's so. I did not realize that that was not your actual real last name. Yeah. Interesting. What three? So you again? You're a teacher here. We we want students to consume a lot of things. Maybe comedy related. Maybe not comedy related. Just you know, as improvisers, it's honestly really good if you're not. Your whole life isn't just comedy. Um, you're actually way better on stage if you can pull a poem out, oh, of, out yes. from nowhere in your brain. Uh, Ryan Vixel is one of my favorite performers to watch because he's a history nerd. And so at any time, his teammates can just like, you know, excuse the the phrasing of it, but like pimp him out sure. to, uh, you know, oh, well, you know what happened in the War of 1912. And he's, boom, he can like list out every fucking battle that took place during that war. And it makes for such a rich scene. So what what three pieces of literature, art, movies, film, anything, what are three things that you would suggest new people, uh, new students of improv consume? Mm. There's one that I, so there's one that's at the top of my list I'm not going to name because Audrey wants to use that one for hers. All right, that's fair, that's so, fair. That's, this Listen is a, to Audrey's episode yeah, and get it's, that one. It's the one that I would have said. <laughs> um, so three, uh, just three pieces of, three consumables. Yeah. I think f- for the first, let's say, get our, 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 like our podcasts. Yeah, it, literally anything. Like some of the ones that we've gotten before, we've gotten Doughboy's podcast. We've gotten things like, the Luis episode of Ernest Heckler. I don't know, I even know what that is. Oh, um, I got it. Okay. Yeah. So the first one is one of the early Improv for Humans episodes. It is called Wistfulness and Kevin. It features Colton Dunn. Ooh, I'm trying to remember who else. Is it Jill Donnelly and Sean Conroy? Okay. I think that episode, um, it's early. What I love about the early Improv, Improv for Humans episodes is they're a little uh, they're a little clunky. Yeah. They hadn't figured out the model just yet. So I love that you can see the cracks. Mm-hmm. And the way that they ta- they go from suggestion to story into uh, scene, you can really see how they how they create the premise from that story. Yeah. Like I think that episode of, 
I think that one does it better than any other episode I've heard. Uh, I'll have to go back and I can't remember which episode that is off the top of my head. When I was first getting into, into improv, that's all I listened to was improv for humans and mm -hmm. comedy bang bang over and over and over again. Yeah. It would get me pumped up for class. It would get me in the mindset of like, yes, and find the game, like all of that. Um, all right, what are two more? Uh, I think another, uh, let, let's, let's go kind of weird. Let's go kind of high concept for these. I would say find, the, the, it's a little bit subjective here, but, the, but the, the, the overall delivery is the same. Find something that is, is unusual, strange, weird, something that you would look at and be like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. So for me, that would be uh, something like, um, uh, oh, uh, uh, James Joyce, uh, he wrote um, uh, Finnegan's Wake. So if you open Finnegan's Wake and you try to read it, good luck. Like Finnegan's Wake is not a book that was written to be understood. Interesting. But if, if you were to pick it up and start to read it, I, I wouldn't even say finish it. Okay. I, I do if you find it interesting, but read it and find meaning in as little or as much of it as you can. Disregard authorial intent. Look at it and find the meaning yourself. Because the, the book is, I mean, it's almost just a collection of gibberish. Yeah. There is a story being told, but it's, it's, it's next impossible to, to identify. It doesn't have to be that. It could be, it could be anything. It could be, it could be something in another language. Mm -hmm. I think in doing this, assuming meaning is really important. We do that on stage. Yeah. You know, we, we don't have time always to figure out what it means. We have to assume the meaning. Mm -hmm. And it also helps, I think, with pattern recognition. Absolutely, yes. Because that, that is, if, if, if I take a, a foreign language and I, like, let's say we find an alien language. It's the same way we deciphered, with quotes, hieroglyphics. Right. Is we, we, we base it off of, of pattern recognition and frequency of use. So if oh it's, it's how that one uh, that, that that couple cracked the the Zodiac killers uh, yes. they 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 found they were like well I bet he used the word kill a bunch yeah and so they found the one that the 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 symbol or the collection of letters that probably meant kill and that's how they deciphered the code yeah so this is basically I think to me this is training your robot brain is 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 basically giving yourself a a series of clues and and deciphering them, mm -hmm. un, un, unraveling them. But in this year, it, it's really, up, it's, it's up to you. There is no empirical answer to it. Right. You're coming up with the answer. And as soon as you, this is, it's, a, it's kind of a Buddhist thing. Uh, koan uh, are these phrases that are intended for, for self-reflection. And the one that, that kind of changed my life was if you, uh, if you see, it, what is it, if you meet the Buddha, kill him. <laughs> and, and, and really spending some time and thinking like, well, I know what the words are. But what does it mean? Yeah, and and that that phrase has very significant meaning to me. It is contrary to the wor the words themselves. So so that's the second thing I would say. Okay. Find something that is foreign to you and study it until it has meaning. Great. And then the uh, the third I think would be find find a piece of of uh, replicable media, like a monologue from a TV show or a movie or anywhere or a song something that again can be replicated that is outside of your comfort zone and learn it mm -hmm. uh this is another one that's subjective so like if if you're someone who if you look in the mirror and you're like you know i'm a little bit heavy or i'm not flexible or i'm there's nothing graceful about me learn it can be a TikTok dance but learn it and and learn it until it's good yeah 
if you're if 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 you get made fun of like for not having rhythm, if you know if someone says that, it, it, fi- find a find a hip hop song you like and yeah. learn it. Use use it as an opportunity to if you want to go edgy with it. We talked about like edgy improv yeah. earlier. It's your opportunity to shove it in the faces of the people who. Over the, over the course of your life have convinced you you're not good at this thing. Yeah. Because everyone has the potential to be good at it. Again, we're all masters at, at a different age in the life. And we're never going to grow if we don't lean into the thing that, that we want to grow at. So, like for me, I get on, there's, I guess they are in a way tricks, depending on how they work into a scene. But there's stuff I can get on stage and do, and people are just like, I can't believe that someone who looks like him could do that. Right. And it's a great way to get a laugh. And if there's a way to actually incorporate it into your scene, even better. Then it's a great way to enrich your scene. Yeah. So, so those are those are the 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 three things: is that one very specific in for humans episode, um, a a a very very foreign to you uh, piece of media to decipher, and a very very foreign uh, piece of uh, replicable media. Uh, to learn and execute yourself. I love it. Those and are and great it doesn't answers. necessarily have to be a piece of media either. Like if like go go out in the woods and cut down a tree. Yeah. You know, like, like if you don't just, think you can cut down a tree, get out there with that axe. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because exactly. I think that's something a lot of um uh as I like to say, normies, the normal people the normies, of the world. Yeah. They they're like I, I hear it from my own parents. I could never be good at that. Mm-hmm. What you do, there's no way. I could never do that. I'm not good at that. So it's like we're so used to telling ourselves a story immediately before we even get up and try it. So it's like just go do it. Try the thing and do it over and over again and and get good at it Uh, because improv, sketch, stand-up, no one wakes up and is magically good at this. Correct. It takes... Just like anything else, practice. Something you just said, the um, you know, there's no way I could be good at this, and you've all you've told yourself this story. His name is escaping me. I'm sure I could find it with a Google search. But there is a quote that has become very important to me. I remember the first part. I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin the second, but the message will be the same. And the first is um, the it's this idea that stories are the uh, the 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 unit of measurement of human human consciousness. Like that's the currency yeah. that people deal in 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 consciousness. Like our the the amount of 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 life that we have is only weighable in the stories we have to tell. Yeah. The thing that prevents us from doing things is bad stories. Yeah. When we tell ourselves bad stories, that's how we find ourselves in bad places. A story is neither good nor bad. The experience can be good or bad, mm-hmm. but the story is just a story. And and that's something it's it's one of the reasons i love meeting people and going places like trying to create new stories yeah and and we should all stop telling ourselves the bad stories the yes. ones where we convince ourselves we can't do things we you can do it you can do it come take a class here and do it we promise come to a jam we're gonna make you look so good we take care of our people we really do all right we're gonna move into uh the last segment of this interview portion then we're gonna do some improv um improv. so this segment is uh, called first thought best thought First thought, best thought, one word answers only, or as close to one word as possible. Um, some people have been really bad at the one word okay. part. <laughs> so, my best. All right, in one word, first thought, best thought, what is your idea of misery? Pain. What is your idea of pure bliss? Collaboration. What or who is your biggest inspiration? Mom. Yeah. Uh, what is your biggest vice? Consumption. Uh, do you ask for permission or for forgiveness? Forgiveness. Mm. Mm. 
Uh, I have to. I have to amend that. Okay. I think once upon a time it was forgiveness. Now it's permission. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. And then in one word, what one word best describes you and your brand of comedy? Blood. Ooh, that's the creepiest answer we've gotten so far. Very uh, appropriate for October 30th when we're recording this. Um, that's terrifying. <laughs> awesome. Charlie, thank you so much for sitting down with me. We're going to move right along to our final little segment here, and we're going to do some improv. <laughs> the part where we have expectations. Yeah, yeah. here we go. Um, so I have my handy uh, random word generator. Um, what sort of suggestion would you like? I have random word, location, relationship, profession, accents, emotions, starting lines, like literally anything you could think of I have. Uh, let's just do random word. Random word. Okay, random word is inside. I, uh, I, I really got us into a mess this time, didn't I, sis? It's not your fault, it's not your fault, you know, we're just trying to have a fun day on the snow. I, um, I know this is going to be a weird time to broach this, but. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you, and even just now, when it was so clearly my fault. No, it's like you see, and you keep saying it because I know that you support me, even when we are facing death in the face. Stop, stop crying! I, stop crying! My tears get frozen in my face. Stop crying, Billum! Stop crying! Oh God, I hate it when you call me by my legal name. Mom, I don't. I, your your tears are starting to stick to, to your cheeks, and it's going to get bloody when we, <laughs> we pull, pull them, them off, off my face. Yes. I'm going to try and start a fire. Okay. Okay. I, if I can just... Okay. If I can find some, some dry wood in the middle of this frozen tundra. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Stop We're gonna die out crying, here. Stop oh god! Crying. Oh god! Uh, okay. Did you just poop? I did. Yeah, I did. I did. I tried to. I tried to keep the tears inside, and something escaped Jesus elsewhere. Fucking Christ, Billum! It's alright. I think. Oh. I think it's frozen. Oh. Let me just shake it out of my pant leg. Like. Fucking Christ, we're gonna die out here. See, that's what I've been saying. I'm gonna die with you next to me in a frozen sack of shit. It's a. It makes for a great story, it's though. It's not a great story. I'm if sorry, dead, I'm, I'm sorry. I should have just stayed at home. I should have just stayed home. Well, hold on a sec. Now. We've at least had some fun. Sure, yeah, we've had fun. You know, it was fun, and it was fun. It was and, fun. And they say that freezing it is actually a pretty good way to go. Well, right now it it sucks. Okay. Mm -hmm, yeah, but but soon, eventually, we're, all of the all of the endorphins in our brains are going to fire at once, and 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 actually, I think your blood vessels burst, and so they that they think painful, yeah they Bill think well, it used to be people who died from hypothermia they 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 found them like without their clothes on because they got so hot that they ripped them off. Do not take your clothes off. I'm going to try not Do to. Do not take your clothes off. I'm going to try not to. Oh wait! I think I see a car. I think it's good. Hey, hello! Hey, help! Help! Ah! Ah! He just drove right by us. Why would they do that? Why does it anybody Because you have a frozen shit. Oh, you sticking out of your pants right now. They think I'm crazy. 
Look, just get back. Let's get back in the car. And we'll, I feel like being out in the elements is not helpful. And we can just get back in the car. I know the car won't start, but we can get back in the car and we'll be, we'll, we'll, it'll get warm. We'll like hot box it. Yeah. Leave the frozen shit outside. Okay. Let me just give a little kick. All right. Jesus Christ, it shattered Wait on a minute. impact. Do you have the keys? No. I don't have the keys. Villain, where are the keys? I think they're in the car. My fucking God. Mom and Dad used to... I don't want to hear what Mom and Dad used to what. They used to, always have, they used to make sure that anytime I got out of the car, I locked the doors because they didn't want somebody to yeah, get in the car. Yeah, but need to have the fucking keys to lock the fucking doors, Villain. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm the, oh, no, now I'm crying again. Stop crying. I'm not trying... I don't mean to. I can't control my emotions. Well, you need to. You not controlling your emotions is why we're here right now. Yeah, my, it's very impulsive, very impetuous. I just thought, look, we we have we we've never been that close, and I just thought if we if we if we had to walk home in the cold, it would make us stronger. It's not going to make us stronger. It's gonna it's gonna kill us, is what it's gonna do. And then we can't be close. We can't because we'll be dead. I don't understand why. Why do you think we're not close? We're close. We're as close as a brother and sister should be. I don't know your. I don't know your favorite color. Why do you need to know my favorite color? It just seems like something you should. You know, you should tick that box. Purple. Collect the cards. Yeah, purple. That's cool. There. Yeah. I don't know your favorite color, but I'm not getting us stranded in the middle of a frozen tundra. My favorite color is is paisley. I hate you sometimes. A lot of people say that it's a pattern, not a color, but I... Oh, my God. Maybe this is why we're not close. Why? Because you're, you're, you're you. I don't know, because growing up, we never got along, and now all of a sudden we're adults. And, and mom and dad aren't around anymore, and you feel like you have to overcompensate. Like, we can just have the relationship that we have. Uh, probably we could also attribute it to my stunted emotional maturity. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm just trying. Don't cry. Oh, oh, God. Okay. No more crying. Let's, like you said, like you said, it's not, we got to do something, right? Let's just start walking. All right. And it, maybe we could find another car. Maybe this time, if if I don't poop again, then, you better not fucking poop again. Then they're, they'll think we're normal people. Let's just... All right, let's start walking. Start walking. Oh, sun's going down. Okay, stop talking about the things happening around us. I'm, I, 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 it's cold. I see the sun going down. It's getting colder. Is that helping? Do you think that's helping? Oh, look. Looks like it's going to rain. Is that help? Frozen rain? Uh, I'm sorry I'm so mad at you. I mean, it, it reminds me we're on the same page. I'm you know, so mad right now. I deserve that. I deserve that. Like, I... I want us to be closer to I you. I do, too. I... You know, that's what... You're my favorite... You're my favorite sister. I'm your only sister. That's right. See? We get it. Well, you're my favorite brother. I'm not your only brother. No, but you are my favorite. That's great. I like it. I have a snack. If you pull out a frozen turd, I will hit you. <laughs> yeah, I that's, will hit you so hard. Yeah, I, so I won't do it then because that it, look it, it. that would have been funny for me, but it wouldn't have been funny for you. I'm it's sorry. not funny. I'm just I'm trying to make light of the situation. If look, if we are if if we if we freeze to death before we get home, let's at least have let's at least enjoy it. Are Are you about to take your clothes off? I actually wasn't. Don't 
I wasn't going to do Don't. that. No, I think I I feel like that's counterintuitive. I I I, I but, but, but hey, of, no, no, we're, no, we're no, having no, ideas. No. We're we're having what ideas. What sort of fun do you want to have while we trudge through this snow? We could skip. We could You want to skip? We could try. We or we could. Uh, you know what? No, you know what? Skipping honestly sounds like a pretty good idea. Like, I could like our, blood get our blood pumping. Yeah, it might right, raise our I'll body skip. temperature. I'll skip. Yeah. All right. You know, they they said that Napoleon actually wanted his armies to do this because it's if they would conserve energy, we're covering more ground, but it was hard to take them seriously. Is are, is that a joke? No, that's true. That can't possibly be true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, Napoleon. Also, his penis was preserved. It had a cat chewed on it. What are you saying to me right now? There's just a lot of people throughout history who have their penises preserved. Why are you fun facting me right now? I'm just saying the first thing that comes to my mind. You said that you wanted to get closer, and all your, you've asked what my favorite color is, and then you told me that Napoleon's penis is in formaldehyde. How is that getting closer? I feel like we're closer. I just yelled at you for 10 minutes. Well, but you're talking to me, and that counts. <sighs> I never notice how blue your eyes are. Oh my God, I'm Bill so, him. I'm, I don't know what you want from me, but I can't Just stand... be normal. Just walk uh, and oh, skip. Um, did you just poop again? Yeah, God I did. I, it, I didn't even know I had it in me to do. God, you know what? It's fine. It's fine because somewhere. Why up are you there, sitting down? Because we're going to die out here. No, come on. Don't. If, if, if you die out here, it's going to be my fault, and I can't take that. Well, it's you're gonna be dead too, so it's fine. We'll we'll both be dead. There'll be no such thing as guilt. No, because, because what we're if dead. no? Because what if you die first, and then a car comes along and find me, and then um, you haunt me forever? And I will haunt you. Oh, I will God. haunt the shit out of you. And you're already shitting a lot. Okay. Oh, God. Look, I appreciate you coming out today and doing something, doing anything. I know that our whole family hasn't really been close since mom and dad died, but this was nice. Even though we're going to die, this was very nice. You know, we kind of got to that point just it's like a whole, whole family where the only time we even got together was for a funeral. Yeah. And it's sad. And I, I don't care about... I don't care about a lot of our cousins and stuff. Mm -hmm. they, they were never close. They're always kind of strangers. And now with mom and dad, on, you're, you're all I have. You know, well, we have Lowell. I mean, no one likes Lowell, but... Oh, no one likes Lowell. That's, that's why we left him in the car. I honestly forgot he was with us. I didn't. I remember. I just don't like him. Oh, no. What if he haunts both of us? I think we should go blow up that car. <laughs> it would... It would make, It'll be warm. It'll be warm. <laughs> scene oh my god oh charlie that was very fun yeah. oh man thank you so much for that i'm so happy that i could be here damn that was a super fun scene every single one of these has been so weird and different it makes i love me that really happy uh that's that's the podcast so thank you so much again for chatting with me is there anything that you want to plug or uh encourage people to check out like where can people find you whether it's like social media website whatever I, 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 I'm not as active uh, in the social media as I should be. It's something I'm going to work on. But, uh, oh, uh, uh, here's a fun one. I don't get a kickback from this, so please just watch for your own enjoyment. Uh, check out Record Smashers. Uh, it was a web series I did a few years ago. If you enjoy it, 
Uh, have fun. Tell your friends. If you hate it, tell your enemies. Hell yeah. Uh, record smashers. And uh, you'll send me a link and we'll post that yeah, in the description let's do that, of this podcast. Sure. So folks can just scroll on down and, and click on that. And for everybody out there, thank you so much for listening in today. Uh, this has been the Dallas Comedy Club Podcast. I've been your host, Kimberly Alou, but you already knew that. Stay safe out there, folks.